Welcome to Living Wisely, Living Well, timeless wisdom to enrich every day with Asha Nayaswamy, one of the spiritual directors of Ananda Palo Alto and a founding member of Ananda Worldwide. If you enjoy this content and are inspired by the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda and his disciple Swami Kriyananda, find Asha on YouTube, Facebook, all podcast directories, and her website, ashajoy.org. Living Wisely, Living Well, Aphorism for July 5th. Now we're into a longer section of the book. July 1st was one line, July 2nd was two line lines, July 3rd was three lines, and now we're into three quarters of a page for a little while here. So settle in, okay? Make contentment your criterion of prosperity. Wealth is primarily the consciousness of abundance. Poverty is the consciousness of lack. You can be rich, you can be rich though dressed in a hermit's meager clothes and housed under a tree. And you can be poor, though residing in a marble mansion, served by bustling servants, surrounded by rich furnishings, and possessing a bank account running to many millions. Another criterion of true wealth is indifference to mere opinion. You can know how rich you really are by your measure of inner happiness. If you are burdened with excessive luxury or imprisoned by the expectations of others, you will pass your life miserably indeed. Well, there's a lot of wisdom in that three-quarter of a page, isn't it? I, uh, you know, the consciousness of abundance. Swamiji said once that they, they, there was a survey done. You know, there's all these surveys done. I love having surveys done. It's, one is like, it's amazing that they surveyed people to ask them that question <laughs> on some of the questions. And also, I really don't know how valid surveys are. There's so many different ways. My father was a mathematician and a statistician also. And, you know, numbers can be changed. But I'm still just going to say this. There was a survey done. And a lot of people were asked whether they felt they were earning enough money. And the vast majority said if they could just earn 10% more, they would be content. (laughs) It was interesting. It came up also in the context of a time when we were trying to inspire people, which is a constant thing, but we, we began the practice of suggesting to people that tithing would be a good spiritual practice and a good spiritual practice in terms of creating prosperity. Tithe is a word that means one-tenth, and it actually is in the Old Testament. And Jesus suggested tithing, but Jesus was affirming a a, a Jewish teaching that was in place when he uh, incarnated on the scene. And it it was described as, you know, you you should hold your staff and you, you should take nine sheep, nine of your sheep walking under the staff, and then take the tenth sheep out and give it to the temple and then nine more, and then you take the tenth one and give it to the temple. Or your sheaves of wheat, you take nine for yourself and you give the tenth one to the temple. The temple representing your source of inspiration. Um, Because you can't just give directly to God. There's, you know, there's jokes about that. Well, you know, after we make the offering, we just uh, take it and we throw it all in the air, and God takes what he wants, and whatever lands back on the ground, we decide is for us. (laughs) So that doesn't work. That's not the right way to do it. But in human terms, what you think of is whatever is my source of inspiration. 
And of course, for many people, that is the religious institution that they're part of, but not for everyone, because tithing doesn't have to be a religious practice. It can just be an understanding that prosperity is the result of generosity and is a result of the flow of energy. And, and you know, what gives me the opportunity to be able to earn it all? And that's where the divine comes in. I need to acknowledge that I am part of a greater reality, and it's by the grace of that greater reality that I have anything at all. And so one-tenth of that belongs to the divine. So you give it to your church or to your priest or to your source of inspiration, whatever that might be. I'll testify, as thousands have testified before me and more will testify after. It's a fabulous practice. It's just a fabulous practice. And you don't think of, I'm, and, and it's different than donating. It's not the same as, oh, we need this for the new building. I'm going to buy a new camera because they need that. I'm going to fix the tires on somebody's car because they need to be fixed. You do that with your 90%. That's your discretionary income that you decide what to spend. That 10%, you just give it to your source of inspiration without conditions because it's not an egoic gift. It's their money. I, when I, uh, in various circumstances, but I actually I still follow this practice whenever it works. Sometimes when I travel, um, people are generous to me and I end up with cash in my wallet or I get an honorarium that, that comes to me in cash. It has always been my habit when any money comes to me that I immediately divide it. So there's that 10% of it is somewhere else. For many years in my life, I didn't have a bank account. And so it was, I just never, anyway, I just would work very much on a cash economy and to a large extent I still do. It's very simple and I like that because I just take 10% off or I immediately write a check or whatever it is. If half of it's in check, I'll take the rest in cash. The point is, I don't put into my wallet 100%. I put 90% into my wallet. And then that's, that's just what I have. Um, it's a wonderful practice, okay, having said that, because um, wealth is a consciousness of prosperity. And the consciousness of prosperity really comes from a sense of security. And security really comes from our knowing that we are part of a greater reality and that we are the children of a divine mother who wants the very best for us and that we're not really in charge of our own destiny. That doesn't mean we don't have to act with 100% of our intelligence and our willpower and our creativity, but we act in response to our being part of this greater reality. It's a very interesting practice. It's a very interesting practice. There's a prosperity... Um, teacher who said uh, that if you're not a little nervous when you write your tithe check, you should make it bigger. <laughs> because it should be an affirmation of your confidence in, in the flow of prosperity and in the divine abundance to take care of you. And if, if it becomes just effortless and you don't have to think about it, you're not pushing the edges enough. And I, in, in different times when I've talked to people about tithing, I've always pointed out that if you, if you have a very small income, you feel like you can't spare even that much. And if you have a very large income, holy bajoli, 10% is a really big check. <laughs> so either way, you get to find a reason why you're not going to want to do it. Because do we trust God or do we not trust God? Do we feel that whatever comes to me is what is appropriate for me? Or are we always like nervous about it. And this is where 
Swamiji writes, you know, happiness is not dependent on how much you have. Happiness is whether you are content. And content doesn't mean, oh, I just live in a hovel and I'm never going to make any effort to provide for my family at a better level than this. That's not, con- that's not contentment in the way Swami means it. That can be laziness and lack of ambition because you can be exceedingly ambitious. You can work exceedingly hard to be very successful for your family, for yourself, for the divine cause that you believed in. But contentment is the feeling that whatever happens to me is exactly right. And that I'm not in a state of rebellion all the time. I'm not a victim. I'm not being mistreated. Karma is not unfair. I'm not alone in this world and everybody just standing against the forces. No, I'm content. This is the right life for me. These are the right obstacles. These are the right rewards, both directions. Swamiji, there was a, a, a man that we both knew who was very successful and a very nice person and, and had a, abundance on many different levels. And he was a, a self-made man and he just had an instinct. He had an instinct. You know, people have that. I've seen it in the fashion world and in other places. They just have an intuition. He just seemed to always know what, what business to be in, when to get in it, when to get out of it, what to anticipate, you know, and he set the trend. And I'm not going to be more specific just to keep his privacy, but he set the trend in a, a number of major areas because he just, he could tell. I remember a wonderful quote from Steve Jobs, of course, the founder of Apple, uh, when somebody wanted him to do market research to find out what people wanted. He said, well, they don't know what they want. They won't know until I invent it. (laughs) Which is exactly right. Nobody even imagined what he invented, what to speak of actually wanting it. How could we? Because he had that instinct to know. Now, I'm not talking about Steve Jobs now. I'm talking about my friend. But he seemed to have, quote, effortless success. And Swami went like this. He said, but most people can't see how many lifetimes he worked to be that lucky, you see. So it's not that we do nothing, but we work with this um, positive enthusiasm because, okay, if this is what I have to overcome today, this is what I have to overcome, instead of, oh, Lord, why me? Which is what people do. Oh, Lord, why me? I I recently, just recently, uh, I saw a documentary. It was called Nikki's Family, which I recommend. It was about a man named Nicholas Winton, who was a, a British man, fairly um, well-to-do and privileged. And in 1939, um, when war was looming over all of uh, Europe, he just went on a holiday with a friend. Or a friend. He was supposed to go on a holiday with a friend, but the friend went to Czechoslovakia instead. So Nicholas joined him there, discovered because the Germans were just moving into that country, all of these Jewish refugees and all of these children that were trapped there and how terrified they all were because the Nazis were coming in. And he devoted himself just out of nowhere to saving Jewish children. He saved 600 Jewish children. He put them on trains and sent them to Britain and gave them to foster families. And most of them, all of their families were, were killed. And so it, it just they would have been killed if he hadn't done that. And he, he just did that from nothing, absolutely nothing. But his, uh, his principle was, if something is not actually impossible, there has to be a way to do it. And that's contentment, actually, even though it's exceedingly proactive. 
Because if it's not impossible, then there has to be a way to do it, and I will find that way. And with that kind of positive energy, you see, what contentment gives you is positive energy and positive expectation. No energy is lost in complaint. And therefore, wealth, the flow, because wealth is nothing but the the flow of of creative energy. Swamiji said to me once when I asked him, what is the secret of prosperity? He said, creativity. And I'm like, really? And he said, it is the belief that if this doesn't work, I'll try that. And if that doesn't work, I'll try that. And if that doesn't work, I'll try that. And you just keep trying until you find the one that actually does work. And along the way, you develop all these qualities of consciousness that give you the power then to, to do it again and again and again. And then abundance becomes contentment also in this sense, which is, I did it once, I can do it twice, I did it twice, I can do it 30 times. And then you end up like my friend who's effortlessly successful because the flow of energy is always there. You see, isn't that marvelous? Um, this is who we need to be. But we have to realize that work is involved. There used to be this phrase, I mean, people would misuse the phrase poverty consciousness. When Ananda wasn't very successful financially, people started railing against poverty consciousness. And I thought about it and I realized we don't actually have poverty consciousness. What we have is a little rich kid consciousness, which is we do not understand the relationship between work and money. And so sometimes people talk about prosperity consciousness, but they're skipping the middle stage. When we were founding our school here, one of the major principles I thought we needed to teach children is the relationship between the energy you put out and what you get back. And that's, again, that's contentment. I'm, I'm willing to do my part. I'm perfectly happy to do my part. And doing my part, I'm content to do my part. And that in itself, you see, creates the abundance. So, make contentment your criterion of prosperity Wealth is primarily the consciousness of abundance. Poverty is the consciousness of lack. You can be rich, though dressed in a hermit's meager clothes, clothes and housed under a tree, and you can be poor, though residing in a marble mansion, served by bustling servants, surrounded by rich furnishings, and possessing a bank account running to many of millions, which you may have acquired through your past actions, but are now squandering by your wrong attitude at the moment. I feel I need to explain that. Another criterion of true wealth is indifference to mere opinion. You can know how rich you really are by your measure of inner happiness. If you are burdened with excessive luxury or imprisoned by the expectations of others, you will pass your life miserably indeed. Don't do that. God bless you. Our work is made possible by inspired listeners, so if you feel to support Asha, you can make a one-time donation, or for unique members-only content, subscribe through Patreon. Blessings and thank you.